The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. Y'all feeling good? You're not sleepy, are you? Me, me either. <laughs> All right, so let's do this. You guys feel free to get coffee and donuts whenever, and I'm going to pray, and we'll start the breakout. Deal? Deal. All right, I'll pray. Lord Jesus, love you. God, thank you for uh, this new morning, and thank you that your grace and your mercy is new to us, that we can't uh, outrun it, that we can't outsin it, Lord, that, that your grace and mercy is bigger and stronger than anything. And so we confess that we need it. We confess that we need it to live lives that please you, that are holy, that are pure. We, we need it to minister to students well. Um, and I pray right now that your spirit would meet with us, guide us in this time as we look into your word and look at how to handle your word correctly um, in such a way to be approved by you. Lord, we love you and need you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, um, I'm going to open to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want to look at uh, just a couple of passages and then um, hopefully just some really focus in on the, the handful of principles that Scripture gives us and how to handle it that are eternal and cross-cultural and then maybe look at some practical ways that we can apply them in our ministries, whether you're uh, preaching Sunday morning, Wednesday night, or whether you're uh, teaching Sunday school or leading a small group, uh, principles that would, would help and apply so that we would uh, handle the Word of God correctly. But I'm going to start in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to jump in. Um, I'm going to jump mm-hmm. in at verse 6. Verse 6. He tells Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the word of of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, and for the, especially for a, a pastor, um, and this is it, this, this is core to our responsibilities that the Lord has called us to, 
But then the, the principles that he lays out meant to be followed by anybody who would handle the Word of God. And I think what always strikes me when I read through the pastoral epistles is the, the balance that's given between, yeah, right doctrine, right? Believe the right things from Scripture, teach the right things from Scripture. Like, I mean, we need to major on that. That, that, that needs to be the focus to, to really give our people what the Bible is saying, but balanced with right conduct. That, that for the preacher, the teacher, there is so much emphasis placed on, yes, teaching this correctly, and living this out correctly. And they must, they must go together, right? He tells himself, yeah, bodily training is good. You should do that. But man, train yourself for godliness. And then he circles back to it after telling them what's essential to our job. He circles back and says, so that all may see your progress, right? Commit yourself to this. Work hard at this so all may see your progress. Your progress in what? Well, it tells them this is what your job is. Read the scripture, right? Read the scripture, public reading of scripture, the teaching or the doctrine, depending on your translation, but the, right, getting, getting the meaning of that passage, and then the exhortation, right? Like, what do we do with this passage? How, how does it apply to our life? He says, man, this is, this is, that's essential. That's preaching. That's preaching the Bible. Read it, get the right meaning, and give it to your people, and then tell them how it applies to their life. And then he comes back and says, yeah, and, and live in such a way, do this in such a way that your people can see your progress. See how that passage that you just taught on, how it's being applied to your life, which then like the preacher, the teacher becomes this living illustration. And so, man, there's so much weight here. I, w- I wanted to start there in Second uh, Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Again, the idea of doing your best, like working hard, that this is, this is hard work. This should be a labor. Both, you know, the study of Scripture to make sure we get the right meaning, and then, yeah, the, the personal submission to it, the training for godliness, the, the application of it to our lives. And then this is hard work. And yeah, we're going to give an account to God. Anybody who would presume to open the scriptures and teach from it is going to answer to God for, for how you handle that, both in teaching and in how you live in front of people. Um, so it's heavy, heavy responsibility, uh, but man, it's a, it's a privilege, it's an honor. Um, so I want to start with this, say this, uh, come back, and I think there's such an awesome balance here where, man, the power of God to change lives is in his word as applied by his spirit, right? That, that I don't have the power, one, to take somebody from the domain of darkness and transfer them into the kingdom of God's son, right? I don't have the power to do that. And, and, and in sanctification, I don't have the power in me. It's not in my ability to connect with them. It's not in my ability to illustrate the text really well. It's not my charming personality and my amazing uh, sense of, Humor, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you guys haven't had enough coffee yet. Um, it's not in that, man. It's, it's in the Scripture. It's in the power of God. And so there's a place where, okay, the preacher, the teacher can step back and, and go, all right, like, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be a faithful steward of this truth. And, but it's, it's, 
God that changes life, both salvation and sanctification. But then to circle back again and go, yeah, but it does matter. Like, it does matter that, that we are the vessels that God chooses to use. And it does matter how I study. It does matter how I submit to that text on Tuesday before I teach it on Wednesday or Sunday. It does matter because God uses all that. Um, one one uh, author said, preaching is truth poured through personality. That, I think that's God's intention, that we ourselves become like the walking illustration of the truth that we would preach or teach. So let's uh, look at some definitions real quick before we move on, as we'll, we'll throw these terms around. Um, so exegesis, right? Exegesis, we'll talk about that. Um, when we use that word, we're talking about uh, an analysis of the text, studying the text, right, a passage of Scripture, studying its language, grammar, historical and cultural background in order to understand its, its context and where it falls in the larger story of redemption. We want to understand its meaning, right? We want to know, like, not just, okay, what did God say? We can get that just by reading it in, in our own language. But to go to the next level of what did God mean by what he says, right? We've got to do that hard work, that study, that analysis of the text. And then, so that's exegesis, right, which is contrary to what people call eisegesis, where you're, you're reading into the text this uh, vertical transference of my thoughts, my ideas. I come to a passage and I don't realize my presuppositions and I read those into the text. Maybe it's the uh, doctrine I just grew up hearing, the theology I grew up with, and if I'm not careful, man, I'll just I'll overlay that onto Scripture without even realizing it. And so the exegetical process helps strip that away so I can really see what's this saying in its context. And Lord willing, then, if I have doctrine or theology that's a little askew, maybe more from my tradition growing up or whatever I've been laid in, that, that'll, get, that'll get refined by the Word of God itself. So then we move to exposition. Exposition. Um, exposition is the process. This is from uh, Michael Didway. He's the executive editor of Preaching Magazine, so it's a cool title. Anything that starts with executive, I'm like, oh, please tell me more. Um, He said this, exposition is the process of taking the results of our exegetical study, and I like this, and fashioning it for understanding, right? Shaping it, molding it. It's where the science of that exegetical work becomes like like a form of art where you're fashioning it for your people's understanding. Um, Shaping a message in such a way that the people can understand this biblical truth for themselves and then recognize how it applies to their own lives. It's good. And then uh, Mark Dever, famous definition here of exposition, preaching that makes the main point of the text the main point of the sermon. This is setting God's agenda to rule the church, not the preacher's. I believe that this is how the Bible teaches us to both uh, teaches us to teach both explicitly and implicitly. And it, you actually see uh, biblical authors in like Hebrews and Romans that we believe are were actually meant to be a sermon read aloud. That that's how Scripture is handled. Um, so I want to pause here and uh, say this. So I don't know. I guess over the past decade. Um, 
I've read a lot of different things on exposition, exegetical work, and um, trying to just get better at this. And uh, this past year, I I had the privilege of teaching our institute in in that semester where we're teaching classes for Southeastern now, um, the college at Southeastern, and what did the class on exposition. And so helpful, but I think one of the things I've realized is if it, when you study those, that when you study this, right, uh, it's easy to kind of get locked into one guy's, um, uh, I guess, opinion on what exposition should look like. Uh, and I know even the, the university I went to, I intentionally didn't take those classes there because it was like a cookie cutter on a conveyor belt. Like, you're, this is how you preach. This is how you should look when you preach. This is how you should sound when you preach. And thankfully, I'd already worked a couple of summers here. And Brody, who with no formal training, but just faithful to study scripture and apply it and preach it, like I was like, okay, I don't, I don't think I want to pop out like with a comb over and a three piece suit and hacking and snorting. I don't know if that's what I want to be, you know. And uh, <laughs> and so, but anyway, in in studying this, what I found is if you you know you read one guy's book, and I don't think they do it intentionally, but you kind of get sucked into, well, if it doesn't look just like this, it must not be faithful preaching, right? And if it, you know, as if any, any preacher who picks up the passage should have almost the exact same sermon, maybe different jokes and different illustrations. And I think, man, the more that I've studied this and, and read different people who all on the, on the same team, you know, want to be faithful to Scripture, read their different thoughts, I think basically what we're saying is, no, we, we want to be able to explain what God said and what he meant by what he said and then how that applies to our life now. Like, strip away all the fancy terms. Like, that's all we're saying, right? We want to get the meaning of the Bible and live by it. Um, and I think there's so much freedom here that if we take these basic principles that Paul spells out for Timothy and, and then there's so much freedom for how God has gifted you how God has gifted you in the, the discernment he's given you, the, your ability to understand scripture, how the Holy Spirit communicates that to you, and then how, the, how God has gifted you then to communicate that to the specific people God's called you to, right? Man, I, that, to me that's so freeing to go, okay, yeah, if I, if I grab hold of these, these principles with a white-knuckled death grip, right, and never let go of those, then there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom here. And it doesn't have to, I don't have to sound like Brody when I preach or, you know, your favorite podcast preacher, whatever. Like, it doesn't have to look just like that. Man, because the, the truth is, God's called you to a specific group of people. And as much as you exegete the passage, what we got to do, like, we got to do the hard work to get the meaning, man, you should also be exegeting your people, right? Your students. Man, know your students well enough to, as you're taking all that analysis of the text and fashioning it into a sermon or into a Sunday school lesson or to a small group discussion, as you're fashioning that, then you should be exegeting your people. Where are they at? What's going on in their life? Like, how does this, you know, 6,000-year-old story and, the, and what the Lord was teaching those people, how do I connect them? How do, how do, how do I bring this group of students into this story, and then bring the truth of this story into their life. That's hard work. That takes time and 
and prayer. It takes time in building those relationships. It takes prayer, like wrestling through the text, because I think really the step I just skipped in explaining it was, man, do that with your own heart first in your own life. Man, you wrestle with it. You exegete your heart. What's going on in me? Where am I at? Man, where, where are my blind spots in life? Where have I allowed sin to creep in? And where are my attitudes askew? And where am I not thinking correctly about God and people? And wrestle with it and, and, and submit, man. Tap out to the Lord. And then, then bring all of that to the table when you, when you teach, when you preach. Deal? All right, that's my introduction. Now I have no time for the rest of it. All right, so with that in place, like, I mean, here's just some helpful things that I, I've gleaned from folks. And disclaimer, nothing I'm going to say is original to me. If it is, like, I'll let you know because it'll surprise me as much as anybody, okay? Like, I've stolen this from everybody, so if I don't give you every quote, like, you know, don't sue me. All right, so when I've identified, like, what I'm going to teach, right, the passage. So for the church I'm a, uh, one of the pastors of, this is great. We work through books of the Bible, so I know, like, when it's my, when, like, my turn to bat, like, I know what passage I'm going to have. You know, for, for camp, I'll know ahead of time, but it, we, we still do teach expositionally, but usually it's, t- it's more of, like, on a topic. Um, so I'm, but I'm going to identify a passage that deals with the topic and not read that topic into a passage, right? Um, but I, I'm going to get that passage, and maybe for you, you, you use material, um, you have a you know, small group material or Sunday school material, and that's, that's fine, man. There's good stuff out there. It doesn't get us off the hook of still doing the hard work because when it comes down to people answering to God for how they've done this, he's not only going to ha- you know, hold the person in a cubicle somewhere pumping out material for your favorite resource. You know, like He's going to hold you accountable. So you still need to do the hard work Take the time and meditate on that passage. Study it. Make sure that they got it right before you regurgitate. In fact, it'll, it won't be regurgitation. It'll be you still coming underneath the power of that passage. So, what, however, um, now I'm going to take that text and just I want to read and read and reread and just what uh, Spurgeon, he said, uh, to soak in the text when he talked about his process of preparing. To just soak in the text. Before you ever pick up a study tool, before you ever diagram Greek, if that's you, which if it is, God bless you. And uh, before you ever pick up a commentary, I mean, just soak in the text. It's so important. Just soak in the text. Meditate on the text. Every time I think of that Spurgeon quote, I can't help but to picture him, like, smoking a cigar, like, in a tub. I'm like, Spurgeon. Um, and so, for me, one of the really helpful things, because what I want to do, I want to catch the flow of the passage, right? Um, I think that, like, that Dever quote of, make the main point of your sermon the main point of the text. And the more that I just read it and meditate on it, you start to see that main point kind of rise to the surface. It becomes more clear. And so, just reading it will do that. And then, uh, really helpful, and I think simple, like, I'm not a Greek student, and I did not do well there. Um, and, and so for me, but what's helpful is we've got so many tools available. And one of the simple places to start is just read it in multiple good English translations that a lot of times that'll help show you the range of a word. 
and it'll bring out nuance that you maybe then you go, okay, there's something there's something here because, man, if these words, you know, that, that's a that's a good difference right there. So it may drive you into a, a Greek tool where you dive a little bit deeper. Um, and for me, if I'm still then confused, I just go talk to Zach and I'm like, hey, what does this say in Greek? Then he tells me, and I'm like, thanks, bro. Thank you for studying Greek and giving me time to work on my fantasy football team. Okay. Uh, So reading it over and over again, looking for repeated words, concepts, phrases, ideas. Again, the goal is that that main point of the text will rise to the surface for me. Um, So in in this process of, man, I'm preparing to teach, I'm preparing to preach, but I I first got to surrender, I first got to wrestle it with myself, um, and asking the Holy Spirit to teach me and not robbing myself of that process of sanctification that is not just for me, but is essential for my people to see. Um, and identifying the, big, the main point or the big idea. Uh, so this semester when I was teaching through exposition to the, our institute students, we used Brian Chappell's really good book, Christ-Centered Preaching. Uh, excellent resource, highly recommend it. And, and so he called it the, looking for the big idea. And what he suggested that at first I, I just couldn't quite get my mind around, but now it's like all I can see. Uh, he talked about looking for the fallen condition focus in a passage. And what he meant was that when you have a passage of Scripture and you're reading it and rereading it, man, look for how our sinful condition, the sinful condition of the world is being highlighted and addressed in the passage, okay? So uh, for the guys, last night in our, in our guy session, it was pretty right on the nose, right? Pretty, pretty clear, sexual immorality. And uh, so what happens is as you identify that, what's the issue here? What's the spiritual burden? It's not always necessarily sin, but just it can be the effects of living in a sinful world. But either way, when you identify that, what, what you'll see is it's always driving towards the hope of redemption in Christ Jesus. Like it, that, that issue, that problem, that situation, that sin is always showing us where our hope lies in Christ. And so that becomes, okay, there, there's the big idea. That's what this passage is all building towards. Um, and so when I identify that, now, man, now my mind's going to start thinking in terms of application I'm going to start thinking in terms of outline. How do I support that? How do I, how do I unfold this passage for my people so that they can see that come to light, so that they themselves, as I'm preaching it, they can see that truth rise out of the passage? Um, all right, so some questions to ask, right? Obvious ones. What is God saying? What did he intend for the original audience? So not just what is God saying, but why is he saying it, Right? Why did he say this? Why is this, why is this passage here? Well, what is the big idea? Not just the facts of the text, but the why of the text. So I want to say this real quick because uh, primarily what I've said so far, you're going to find more in like the epistles um, and the way that they're written. But with narrative, it's a little different because you can't just necessarily jump into the grammar and the way that uh, narrative the way that narratives uh, work, right? You need to see the story. You got to see how stories are put together to get the big point, to get the main idea. So just some basic stuff about narratives, right? What you're looking for, um, setting, 
Right, so this is helpful just as you're reading it and making notes. I'm looking for the setting, like, right, the time, the place, the characters, identify those things. What's the conflict, right? And narrative, it's not necessarily just one sin mentioned like you might have in an epistle, but a narrative, there's going to be conflict, there's going to be tension, there's going to be an issue within the story that might happen over chapters. So looking for the conflict, the issue to be resolved, and then the climax, right, where the tension breaks, where the issue is dealt with, the turning point in the story, and looking for how it's resolved, which we're, lo- what we're looking for there, obviously, is God's grace. How is it resolving this issue? Um, all right, so recognize that. And again, at this point, man, I still, I just want to be just me and the Holy Spirit. If what Jesus said is true, which, yeah, right? <laughs> what Jesus said, hey, it's better if I leave. This statement constantly blows my mind because, like, those guys, those jokers walked around with Jesus for three years, right? And he tells them, it's better that I go away. It's better that I'm not physically here sitting next to you, looking over your shoulder, telling you audibly how to do this. He says, it's better if I go away because if I go, I'll send the helper. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to lead you in truth. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring my words to your mind. I think, okay, like, don't skip this. Don't skip that for FF Bruce or the NIV application series. Like, don't skip that for your favorite commentator. Don't run right to YouTube to listen to your favorite preacher teach on that text. Those are good tools. Like, and I'm going to go there. I'm going to check my work against 2,000 years of church history but don't rob yourself of learn, you learning how to hear from the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and I'll be honest, this, this, is, this was a big learning curve for me because coming out of seminary where like, that was all the work, right? all that technical work, even, I, I, it was a crutch in a lot of ways. I leaned too heavily on it just to tell me uh, what it was really saying. And, and the danger there is what I saw in my preaching and teaching is I was giving them, uh, I mean, almost 100% of my exegetical work. I, was, I would give my people, I'd try to get 100% of my analysis of the text out into a sermon and leave no time for illustrations and application. And that's not, that's not good preaching. It's not a, John Stott said about 90% of our exegetical work shouldn't make it into our sermon. It's important. It's important to be there so that our teaching and preaching isn't shallow, right? But that, that, that foundation needs to be there. But when we fashion that information for listening, for hearing, for receiving, man, we'll just overload people, right? If you walk through every, like the infinite amount of things that you could say on any given story in the Bible or any given passage, you'll overload your people. Uh, Brian Chappell says, man, it's like shooting BBs at them and thinking they're going to catch them, right? Like throwing out a handful of BBs and thinking your people are going to catch them all. They're not. And he's, that's where he makes a simple illustration. He says, it's way easier to catch a baseball than a handful of BBs. Yes, thank you, Brian. It is. What's he saying? Yeah, man, you dump all that information on them, they may, they may leave thinking, Man, Rob really knows that passage well. 
I've got no idea what it's talking about, but he does. Well, that's not the point, right? But if I can simplify my explanation and then deepen my application for them, then they can walk away with that, man. And then they can see where it came out of the text. And that's so important. I mean, it's so important. That's worth stopping and saying is one of the benefits, one of the huge lifelong and eternal benefits to handling scripture this way is whoever you're ministering to. The point isn't just in that one Wednesday night to give them that truth. Yeah, that's important, man. Do that. But what will happen is week in and week out as you faithfully handle scripture and not just show them what it says, but give them enough to see where it came from, what you'll do is you'll equip them over time that they themselves will understand how to go to Scripture and get the main point and know how it applies to their life. The chances are, man, that, you know, 10 years from now, they're not going to be able to pull any one of the awesome lessons you gave them out and remember it, right? 10 weeks from now, like, I mean, two months from now, I'm not going to remember these sermons I preached 10 times. Like, they'll be gone, unfortunately. But, but man, if we teach them by example how to faithfully handle Scripture, and then they do that themselves, they become lifelong students of the Word of God, able to use the Scripture, one, as a filter for whoever is the next person to stand and preach and teach to them, right? They leave your youth group, and they're going to go to college, and they're going to get involved in a campus ministry. Hopefully a good one. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they're going to get sucked into a church that has got all the bells and whistles that, that your youth group didn't have, your church didn't have. In some big city somewhere with a preacher with tight pants and big hair and a smoke machine. And they're like, this is incredible. The worship's so moving. And Man, but if they've got the filter of the word of God to be able to go, okay, time out. What did he just say? How did he get that from this passage? And not like in a critical, like, thumbs up, thumbs down, but man, to know, like, is this true? Is this what the Bible says? Is this what the Bible means by what it says? And is that, is that really how we should live in light of it? Man, if, if that's what they leave with from our ministry... And praise the Lord, right? <laughs> who cares if they remember who said what? Well, one of my favorite humbling things about working here is like people come up and say, man, I really, really appreciated that message. I'm like, oh man, thanks. And then they'll start talking about it and I realize, oh, that was Spencer's. <laughs> but I don't tell them or Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, who cares, man? Who cares if they remember us and what we said? If that's ultimately the work the Lord does in their life, uh, it's huge. All right. Um, so uh, read this. I already kind of said it, but I typed it, I think, in a more clear way. Preachers, teachers need focus to funnel the infinite exegetical possibilities on any portion of Scripture. Focus on what has to do with the central point of the text. The main idea, when we identify the main idea, it frees the preacher or the teacher to know what to say and what not to say, right? To be able to leave 90% of your exegetical work, right? Your baby, 
like this awesome stuff that you spent all this time and part of you really wants other people to know that you did, like to be able to leave that behind, right? What frees you is, here's the main point. Here's what I've got to get across. All right, so uh, I don't have time for that. Okay, so read this about fond condition focus again, just hopefully to clarify. We must discern the spiritual burden of the text and the hope of God to his people for his glory. This forces us to exegete the cause of a passage as well as, it, as its contents and connect both to the lives of people, the people that God has called us to shepherd. All right. So, I already said all that. So, at this point, wrestled with it, identified the main point, how am I going to support that, begin to think of how I'm going to fashion it for my hearers, wrestling with it, trying to submit to it, thinking through my people's lives. And now, yeah, man, I'm going to go to commentaries and study tools to check my work. And, and, and I think it's, man, can't, shouldn't be skipped. You got, you got people on either side, right? People that are going to get up and preach and tell you only what a commentary said. And then you got other people who are going to do the whole, uh, the Holy Spirit told me I've never looked at a commentary and they say things. And sometimes it's awesome. And sometimes it is like, that, that's not the Holy Spirit. Like that's, you know, the taco you ate. Like, I don't know where you got that. That's, that's not what that passage means, but you wouldn't know what that, that's what the passage means because you don't know the context of the letter that it was written in. Like, no, there, there needs to be balance here, right? So, man, I want to check my work against 2,000 years of church history where people have already made major mistakes and it's been corrected. And, yeah, if there's a debated passage, yeah, look at what people have said. And, and maybe there's not a clear answer to what exactly that meant to the original audience. But, man, give you direction, at least a place to, to stand and say, okay, here, here's both sides of it. I'm not really sure, but it doesn't affect. Here's really what the main point of the passage is. So um, then at this point, so I, I said earlier, when I, I look back on when I first started um, preaching and teaching, I wouldn't give hardly any application. And my thinking was, if I just tell them what it means, they should be able to apply it for themselves. I don't know what's all going on in their lives. And, you know, and realized I was doing a disservice. And similar with illustration, I thought, because for me personally, and I think I'm strange in this and other things, but uh, when I listen to somebody preach, when they start telling a story or giving illustrations, I check out. I'm like, okay, story time. And not that I don't like stories, but if I'm, in, if I'm engrossed in what is this passage saying, or the, you know, what, like that's what I'm passionate about. And so I would check out, and so I kind of projected that on other people, and I think, no, that, I mean, Jesus, right? No one used illustrations in the Bible more than Jesus. I mean, it, he's breaking it down for us, and one of the, the such, what illustrations do is like, right, we want to read what God said, tell them what it means, but illustrations, it shows people what the text means, right? And that, that is so important. And that's primarily how human beings have learned since, you know, creation. You know, people being literate is a relatively new thing to the history of the world. And so creating word pictures for people, man, that's awesome. And I think I, I'm not naturally good at that, not naturally gifted in it. Um, and so I pray for it. I pray over illustrations and stories and ask the Lord to give me something. And, uh, 
you know, and then I look at Brody, and Brody's like a stinking walking illustration machine, right? He can't help it. Like, he's constantly telling stories. He's constantly, you know, making these analogies. They're just, like, falling over out of him, like, and he doesn't use half of them. And I'm walking behind him, picking them up, and like, I'm going to use that. I'm going to lie and say that that happened to me, you know, like, <laughs> great. Like, because it's helpful. It helps people learn, man. And uh, similar with a- application, and one guy said this, one pastor said this, that application is where the text intersects with life. We need balance here. If all of our teaching is just on life, just on application, and there is no truth to guide us, then there's no power to transform us. But if, all, if we only give them text, we can easily become puffed up and arrogant and have heads and lips that are near to God, but our hearts will be far from Him. So we need to, we need to bring it to this place where te- the text of Scripture is intersecting with where people really live, right? Again, simplify your explanation and deepen your application. Illustration, show them what it says. And this is awesome because it all is fear, fair and love and war and preaching, right? Like, like that, I, I love this aspect. It's somewhere where I'm really trying to grow is, man, I listen to a bunch of different types of podcasts and, and trying to listen to different books because, yeah, there, everything in life, this free game for the preacher to make an illustration out of. So, man, broaden our horizons, which is great because, you know, for me, mostly, the only thing I really am interested in outside of the Bible and my family is football. Well, your people can only take so many football illustrations, right? Um, and so, man, I'm listening to all kinds of junk that before I wasn't interested in, but I've become interested in it just to make to help me become a better teacher. And I'm seeing that, man. I'm listening to a psychologist. I don't know why, but he says interesting things, and I see it like more illustrations flowing out. So uh, you don't have to do that, but I recommend it. All right. So application, right? For you personally, thinking about your people, intersecting it with their life. But I want to say this last thing before close, right? That our sermons and our lessons aren't done until we've wrestled with the redemptive focus of that passage. What what does that mean? Well, what did Jesus say? What is all the Bible talking about? What is all the Bible pointing to? The gospel, right? Jesus. Is Jesus really the central character of the Bible? Yes, Rob. (laughs) Yes, he is. And so, man, some, so often I think we, we, we cut ourselves off because we're like, oh, all right, here's this text of saying, but we don't look at, again, you get, you know, this microscope look into the text, but you need to back up again and say, where does this fall in the story of the Bible as a whole, right? How is this pointing to Jesus, or how is this pointing back to and explaining in a deeper way what Jesus accomplished? Um, so don't, don't stop short of doing that. Um, great. That's my notes. <laughs> How are the donuts? Are they good this morning? <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you this. I got a, if you'd like to um, check it out, I've got a whole lot of notes really just taken from uh, Chapel's book on application. And I think I, I got that printed. I don't have time to go through it all, but um, I really recommend that book, especially where he talks about illustration application because he, he goes into different ways, like in narrative or when you're teaching the law. Um, 
Well, one, one thing uh, real quick, and then I'll pray, okay? Give me one more minute. Uh, I think for a long time, you know, I'd read narratives, and I'd heard, you know, such moralistic focused preaching that I overreacted to that. And so maybe, you know, where you hear the David and Goliath story, and it's like, tell the David and Goliath story, read it, and then give, you know, something like this. So what are your giants? What giants are you facing? The giant of depression? The giant of gluten allergies? You know, like, and then, and then, and you're, and uh, you go, oh man, that's not what's, uh, that's not the main point, right? Well then, so yeah, the main point is David and Goliath both saying, no, our gods are at war here. And after David cuts off Goliath's stinking head, he says, Man, God did this so that everyone would know Yahweh is God. That's the main point, right? Well, so then I swing over there, but then I would miss that still like supporting that main idea is there's good moral lessons that we can learn from how David responded to the reality that Yahweh is the one true God, right? He, he activated his faith, not just theoretically or theologically, but he picked up a dang sling and some rocks and went and faced a giant in armor. So yeah, there's moral lessons that can be drawn. I think, man, uh, and maybe this is more for me than for you, but like, man, bringing that back and going, okay, I, it, it's not one or the other, but how, how does this being the main point, how is that supported and then empowering our application? So I'll pray, and then uh, let's pray some more donuts. Lord Jesus, love you. God, thank you for your word. And uh, thank you for your servants, and I pray that you would use us, empower us by your Holy Spirit to not only study um, your scripture well to get the meaning, but to live it out consistently in front of our students and our churches, um, and that that we would truly disciple them to be lifelong students of your word. Uh, We love you, and we need you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, everybody.